Are you bored? Bored of casting the same old spells in your tabletop role-playing games? How about if you were able to cast a Wall of Horse, which is a 20-foot high dome of pure equine power? If that's the case, then Coffee Steak Studios has got the content for you. You can either check them out by going to their Itch.io store or becoming a Patreon of their Patreon campaign. There'll be links in the show notes. And now, man with the show, Wizard. Hello and welcome to another episode of We're Not Wizards. My name's Richard. I'll be your host for November. Um, oh. It's getting cold, it's getting chilly, it's getting dark. Sometimes um, sometimes you want to be in the dark under your duvet all alone, all nice and warm and also kind of nice and snuggly and just let the cold and darkness that's outside just kind of wash past you and other times you want to kind of want to get out there and you want to be speaking to people and getting to gatherings and you know you want to be playing games with folk in some ways you just you could even claim that you're a bit of a social gamer um so i thought who could i get that claims that i'm a social gamer and then i thought about hmm vaughn then i thought about vaughn reynolds so joining me to talk about a whole manner of different things, Kickstarter-related, board game-related, um, meeting people at pubs and taverns and general beer chat. I've got Vaughn Reynolds. Hello, Vaughn. Hey, how's it going? I'm very good. How's you? Good. It started to snow out here yesterday, so it's definitely the uh, scenario that you sus- described earlier. <laughs> Where are you? Where are you in the country? Then are you are you east coast or you west coast? Or are you right in the middle? Uh, I'm in the northeast. I'm very close to what they call the Northeast Kingdom, which sounds really cool. Um, I'm actually in, I'm in Vermont, and uh, I'm out in oh. the locals call it out in the trees. Uh, it's, yes. it's very open and it's it's beautiful out here. We used to live down in South Florida where we were all packed on top of each other, but uh, yeah. we just wanted to change the scenery for the kids. And uh, to you know, slow things down a little bit. So, have you got like a log cabin? I mean, do you get out in the morning and cut some wood, <laughs> you know, with your axe, and you know, you're going out, kind of like trekking, checking the traps, you know, and and making sure that you're gathering food for the family, and then you know, you've got a beard, and everybody in the family's got a beard, and if <laughs> you don't have the a girls, beard, yeah, <laughs> everybody. <laughs> I, Everybody's got a beard, and you get together in the morning, and you have a good old sing song about what you're going to do in the mountain air. No. Uh, well, if I did, my father would be super proud of me. <laughs> <laughs> but but I definitely don't, don't. I mean, the house is is wooden. Uh, we've yeah. got that, but it's not a log cabin. Um, it's a it's a very nice house, and it's nice uh, living up here. It's uh, yeah. totally different than South Florida, and it, it's been a nice change. And no hurricanes, which is a huge plus. Did you just get away? Was it just, were you just kind of 
tired of the kind of the rat race? Did you want a, Did you kind of crave a slower pace, a slower pace of life at the time then when you decided to move? Yeah. Well, let's just say that my father, um, when he was still alive, who, you know, let's see, yeah. he was 71 when he passed. Wow. And for most of my life, since I was a teenager, he always complained that I drive like, or I drove like an old lady. So uh, I think I've always kind of wanted that slower pace in life. Yeah. I, just, I just finally had the chance to get it. We actually looked at um, Colorado Springs and uh, Seattle, Washington, and some other places in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. But um, my wife settled on Vermont because she works at the hospital, and we switched places. Right, okay. She used to be the stay-at-home mom, and I worked full-time. And then we swapped, mm-hmm. and now she works full-time, and I stay at home with our now four-year-old son and uh, I do marketing from home and, and other things like that from home. That is that kind of pretty empowering then. I mean, that must be pretty good to be able to kind of just wake up every day and kind of like, you know, what are we going to do today? And obviously you have to get your work done and there's chores to get done about the house and stuff like that. But that must be pretty cool to kind of know that you're going to be dropping him off, you know, dropping him off at school when he gets older and picking him up from school and there's going to be a lot of firsts that you might witness yourself firsthand instead of being the guy that walks in the door at six o'clock at night and is told that, oh, he just did this today or he did that or, you know, kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. And, you know, having spent years in the military, I, you know, I got to see a lot of people miss out on their kids' lives. Um, so yeah. I'm very thankful that I'm not missing out on my sons. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you, with you working how you work, I'm guessing you kind of work from home and you're, are you kind of in a lot of control about how you kind of timetable your day? So are you able to timetable your day round about when he's likely going to need less attention or not you need any attention at all um, and things like that then? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a blessing and a curse, though, because it's really easy to get distracted, you know, let alone on, you know, my own computer and things of that nature. But pretty much anywhere I can get distracted by anything around, you know, whether it be my son or, you know, my Uh daughter getting home from school or the phone ringing or any of, you know, any number of other things. I don't have a secretary, so I have to answer everything. And that's the the toughest part has been time management. It's nice being able to work at any hour, but also in that regard, I never leave, I don't leave work. So, you know, right Mm -hmm. now I'm working on a project outside of the board game world with uh, a team that uh, is in China. So they're Mm -hmm. on a completely different time zone. So sometimes I have calls with them late at night and, you know, so there's a, it's, you know, so that's also an advantage, right? I'm available all the time, but I never leave work. Yeah. So it's tough. I can get pulled away from dinner. I can get pulled away from different meals with the family because yeah. of that. But I wouldn't trade it. I definitely wouldn't trade it, especially because I don't have to drive to work in the snow and all the crappy winter weather. So uh, it's it's pretty nice. <laughs> Just have to stick the hiking boots on and put on that really extra f- big fluffy jacket and yeah. your hat and just head out on your snowshoes, um, you know, with your lantern. Um, yeah. I don't know where I'm going with this. My, my knapsack, um, my you, hunting rifle, <laughs> you know, all that stuff, right? <laughs> kind of like deep breaths and good whistling. That's oh, all yeah. you need when you're I, out I there. I love the whistle. The, I'm the whistler of the family for sure. 
You could just see you walking down the road, kind of attracting various wildlife with yeah. the whistles that you've learned to do. do yeah, I'm, I'm the male. Oh, would you white. like to see the? Would you like to see an eagle? Would we do This thing goes. <laughs> I could just imagine that. Have you got to be? Have you got to have a time where you got to say right? This is family time. I mean, this is the stop time. I'm not going to check my emails because. This is, I don't know, it's kind of one of these things. I see this on kind of like LinkedIn all the time. There's somebody going, oh, I couldn't believe I tried to speak to this people person over the weekend and I couldn't get in contact with them because, you know, they weren't answering their emails. And it's like, well, it's it's Sunday, 10 yeah. o'clock in the morning. What you can, yeah. what you kind of expect? And do you, have you put in kind of like very kind of fixed times where you say, well, actually, the phone goes to one side or <clears throat> have you kind of like, taking your work emails away i mean have you taken work emails off your phone altogether and you only have access to through to the kind of the laptop i mean i mean while you're saying you're working at home do you have a distinct kind of separation where you say no this is this is our time and this is when we're going to be doing stuff as a family kind of thing yeah we've we've definitely had to separate uh the the tether of the mobile device because all of my emails, everything that I have goes through my phone just so that I can uh, be available at any time um, hmm. in certain situations, right? Like if I'm helping out with a Kickstarter, you never know what's going to be happening at on any day of the week. So I'm going to be available. Um, but where, when I have a project that, you know, like maybe doing graphics for um, a jelly bean Kickstarter or something like that, I mm-hmm. will focus on working on it just during the normal five day work week. And, you know, Peter's fine with that because I get my work done very quickly. So it's not a problem. Yeah. Um, and he will respect my time and he won't reach out to me over the weekend because we've set that boundary. But, um, you know, I've had other clients outside of the board game world where the demand is a lot higher and the timelines are different and they've wanted my yeah. time at any hour of the day. And it's, you know, so I have to, I have to adapt to the job and the pay and, you know, the different things and make the decisions based on that. But we do make a conscious effort to put our phones in a different room so that we can't even pick it up absentmindedly. And we, you know, we spend time with the family, whether we're, you know, watching a show together, watching a movie, you know, having dinner, whatever it might be, playing a board game together. So, yeah, you definitely have to put the phones down. Do you, um, since you've got quite a young family, do you do you play quite a lot a lot of, do you play a lot of board games together? Do you try and make an effort to get everybody around the table and bring something to the table that everybody can can kind of play? I will say that getting drunk adults to play board games is easier than getting your kids to play board games. <laughs> I spent years hosting, uh, you know, this is kind of how I'm a social gamer came to be. I spent two years hosting game nights at pubs for uh, every week without fail. I only missed maybe a few, a few weekends for holidays or whatever it might Mm -hmm. be. And, uh, tons and tons of people playing games. This is around the time when, um, exploding kittens came out. I actually, uh, made a video with, uh, the people who were coming to my game night for the kitten console and was chosen as one of the few uh, people that they sent early copies to, to promote as an event. And, you know, they promoted it on their network and that was super fun. We had like 40, 40 something people at a pub for, for uh, exploding kittens. It was pretty fun. But anyway, so back to the kids, Um, my four year old really likes board games because of all the components and the colors. 
He's not quite at the yeah. point of really following any strategy, which is fine, but he absolutely loves dice. So I'm doing my job right. And uh, our 12 year old, well now, she, sorry, now she's 13. Both of our kids just had birthdays. They turned four and 13. She wow. used to love games when I used to host these game nights. Um, her, uh -huh. She was really good at Biblios and um, uh, Camel Cup or Camel Up, depending on which you know belief system you have. And uh, she kind of acted. Oh, you can't! No, 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 no! You can't <laughs> go into that and not claim what you think it is. I honestly don't remember which one, which side I was on, but I'm pretty sure it was Camel Cup <laughs> because it was a race. But I like the concept of Camel Up because you're piling yes. the camels on top of each other. So right now, I'm I'm literally undecided. It's pretty bad. That's a very poor stance, but we'll let it fly. I maybe come back later in the conversation. Okay. I just. Just go cup her me. up and you'll go you, it'll just come out and over and you'll go cup oh I mean up yeah, I mean yeah. I don't know what I mean yeah kind of actually thing. Board Game um, Spotlight posted about it recently and I had to ask my wife I was like which side of this discussion was I on again and she goes you know I don't remember <laughs> I think you just go in with um, the opposite or whatever you believe because there's always bound to be you know there's always bound to be somebody that's going to come and correct you and they're going to go Actually, I think you'll find, Mr. Reynolds, that on this particular date in the year of our Lord 2017, you actually said that you preferred it to be called this thing. And you'd be like, ah, how do you do that? Yeah, that's the joy of <laughs> the internet, also right? <laughs> and, and also, secondly, please get outside more if all you're doing is taking notes about when certain people said certain yeah. things on the internet. <laughs> Just saying. Yeah. Um, you know. Um, but um, do you... I mean, the way, I mean, I have, the way I play, I generally play games with my youngest, and he's, he's just turned seven, is we were playing um, Mega City Oceana mm -hmm. today, and we played it yesterday, but the way I do it is I do it in stages, mm. so the first thing was, okay, well, what's the main, the main crux of the game is like building little buildings out of the ridiculous plastic pieces that are fantastic and that's what we did and then the next time like tonight i've introduced well here's the cards and the cards actually tell you the number of pieces that you can use and the kind of the rules for the building that you're building and then i'll kind of build it up kind of slowly because i find that if you go in with all the rules depending on the game sometimes they'll take it in and sometimes they'll just be like, this is rubbish, I hate it, because I can't remember everything that's kind of going on. Yeah, they'll on. just shut down. Did you, did you, would you generally, you know, when, would it depend on the game, but are you the type of person who would go in with the full rules, or, or do you kind of house rule it, kind of like the the beginning, and, and see where they kind of, where they would go from there? Um, well, I have a problem with being a purist, so I try to stick to rules as best as possible to reduce any kind of variance outside of what was intended for the game as far as yeah. what the kids are concerned with my oldest she has fallen out of liking board games because she's you know she's just in a transition she's trying to figure out what what lifestyle she wants to pick and so yeah a, as a part of that she took a big step back from board games however she wants her ears to be pierced again so we made a trade we said you could play five games and have a good attitude and, and play the game with us. And then we'll do that. And so coincidentally, um, earlier, like uh, just last week, we we finally got Azul and we finally got it to the table with my wife and I. So we figured we'd have our daughter play with us. 
and we um, played around. And again, she acts like she doesn't like games and she's, you know, she, she's, you know, in her defiant stage. But when yeah. the dust settled at the end of the game, her score was 47. My wife's score was 28. And my score wow. was five. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I, I really bombed have, it bad. You could have raised it a little bit. You could have gone up to 15 there. Nobody would have known the difference. Now listen. Except the, obviously if your wife listened the, back the first, to your The first time I played Azul with my wife, we both hmm. tied at a score of 59. The wow. second time we played, my wife got 41 and I got 30. So it's, you know, it's not like, a, and then my wife and I played again a couple of times and at no point did I score anywhere near five. Uh, it was just that I was way off my game. And also our daughter really excels at board games, whether she wants to admit it or not. So I'm just hoping to play more games with her and have her see that more and more. She also likes, um, oh, I can't think of it. Uh, Paperback, the deck builder. Have you played that one? Yes. Yeah. Yes, I have, yeah. yeah. Super fun game. She really likes that one a lot too, even if she won't admit it. Yeah. We yeah. just and we just So you could up... always you could actually say, Well I'll tell you what, I wasn't losing here. I was just following my current kind of graphical trend, which was kinda of like down the way. So if you <laughs> if you plotted the points in the graph, five I was actually there. I was, you know, I was destined to kind of reach that score and do that badly. So I got it was so doing, bad. <laughs> you you're just doing kind of like fine. You're kinda of, you're kind of uh, fulfilling your destiny. Yeah. Basically. I was, I was kinda like way. a skipping stone because you know, you can lose points at the end of the round, but you can't get to zero or like below zero. So I was just yeah, kind of yeah. skittering along as the game went. It was, it was pretty bad. But for our youngest, we recently bought the um, Ticket to Ride First Journey uh, because he loves trains. So we, mm. we tried to play that with him, but he got too distracted with putting the cool trains all over the board. Um, so we might have to wait a little bit more and, and, uh, and try that again when he can keep his attention on it a little bit more. Because it's meant for six plus and he's four. But he's very smart, so we're you know we're just trying to give him giving him the benefit of the doubt. But you know he always reminds us that he's still a toddler or a preschool or whatever the identifier is. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's the kind of there's a big difference between that kind of a huge difference actually between that type of age in terms of just the the general reading comprehension, which is why when I've been teaching, I mean, I've played um, I've played kind of like giant killer the GKR heavy hitters. Mm-hmm. With my youngest when he was like you know five or six years old, and all I did was totally scale back the rules. So it was all about kind of like moving dice, and you know it was more about the combat than the actual kind of tactics, and that kind of works kind of really really well. But nowadays it's kind of like he's seven, and you're playing like say um, Escape from Atlantis, or you're playing King Domino, and beforehand you're kind of yeah I'll let you get away with that, you do that, and now like especially in Escape from Atlantis, he's brutal. <laughs> absolutely brutal there's no you know it's like not even a case of you know he will act he will actively tip up pieces of island that he knows i've got people on just to drop me in the water and laughs hysterically when he uncovers a shark oh yeah i mean this is somebody that you know he's kind of like at the beginning it's like okay i'm gonna give you a bit of slack you know i'm just gonna let you kind of enjoy your enjoy your time and now i'm kind of i'm sweating on, yeah, there's a little bit of sweat. There's a bead of sweat kind of dripping down the side of my forehead because if he gets me, I'm losing points now. You yeah, know, I'm not. I'm losing dignity. This is what this is what's happening here. But it's all, it's all good. For, I'd rather, I don't know. I'd rather sit down with them 
sit across a table, then have them doing the kind of the YouTube thing. Mm. And all they seem to be doing is checking out YouTube or in front of a screen. And, you know, it's nice to just kind of sit across and kind of, um, you know, kind of play. Um, So there we go. Yeah. Um, in, In terms, I mean, when you were growing up yourself, were board games a kind of a feature when you were kind of growing up? I mean, did you have, did you play the traditional stuff or... Okay, so just so that, you know, context and everything, um, I'm 37. I turned 37 this year. And I, uh, growing up with my father, he loved to play games like chess, um, seven card stud, you know, a lot of the classics in that regard. Yeah. We didn't play Monopoly. We didn't play Shoots and Ladders, you know, things like that. We didn't play too many of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but my father loved the classic games, and um, we played those together. And then when I was, I don't know, probably 10, 10, 11, around that time frame, there was a a video rent, a VHS rental place um, that I was obsessed with called Cats Video. They had arcade. Um, you know, they mm-hmm. have arcades, you know, like the first Mortal Kombat when that came out and stuff. So I hung out there all the time and they had um, they had some games that I bought before I really knew what games were. And uh, those the two that I remember very distinctly were Hyborian Gates, the Conan okay. game and uh, Overpower, the old Marvel combat game. And um, OK, and those kind of got me started i bought them because the pictures were cool like I, I my father draws and i actually went to college for painting like illustration painting so i'm very big yeah, into yeah. the visuals into arts and everything like that and so that's what drew me in and then around the age of 12 i um i went to a local game store and i also uh the street that i lived on at the time there were some kids who played magic and dungeons and dragons um, you know, the, yeah, yeah. the old red box, uh, Dungeons and Dragons game. And, um, so I went to the local library and I checked out deities and demigods from advanced Dungeons and Dragons. And, uh, yeah. I, I remember that my first magic card was the white knight from revised. And, uh, you know, it's basically been my lifestyle ever since. Um, I, you know, I'd hang out at the game stores. I used to, the big game that I played growing up besides magic was legends of the five rings. Uh, mm-hmm. at, you know, I know, um, all entertainment group, AEG makes a lot of board games, uh, now, and they don't have as much of a, as a focus on card games, but they've been around for, yeah. for a long time and they've made really big games that uh, just a lot of people don't even know about. Um, and so I played warlords saga, the storm. I, I drove around to tournaments all over the place for warlords and L5R. I went to Gen Con. Um, and I actually used to demo for AEG when I was, I think, 19, I think I was 19. Oh, okay. And I used, I used to, I actually ran the, um, I don't know how much you know about warlords, but they had these things called Deverenian lords and, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. and dragon lords, which were promo cards that the Deverenian lords, there was only one of each of those cards in print ever. And the employees of the company who represented them, they would play the deck at Gen Con and you had to play against them. And their deck was totally stacked to just utterly destroy you. But yeah. if you beat them, you got to claim the entire deck. 
with the wow. one of Deverenian card and all the promos that were in it, you were the only person who got that. Um, now the tier below that were the Dragon Lords. They had Dragon Lords, which there were multiples of. It was still a promo card, but the only way to get it would be to beat the person running it at Gen Con. And I was one of the people who got to run a Dragon Lord deck at Gen Con. Um, and that was a lot of fun. And uh, so, so yeah, so I've known John Zinzer, uh, you know, the guy who runs AEG for, you know, since I was a kid, yeah, basically. Yeah. And, um, and, and I just, I've been very much immersed in the board game world growing up. I, when I um, joined the military at 21 and I moved over to Germany, I became a magic judge so that I could host official magic tournaments on base. And, um, and it was cool because I could go right off base and buy German cards, which, you know, made me feel really cool. And, uh, then <laughs> in 06, when I, this, that would have been around 2004. And then in 06, when I got deployed to Iraq, um, I actually got with a group of air, cause I was air force. I got with a group of air force guys and we bought Dragonlance campaign settings books and we played a Dragonlance campaign while they were there or while we were there. And then on Fridays, because I worked on base, on Fridays, I would have one of the sergeants drive me over to the army side of the base because they had Friday night magic on the army side. And so I would go over there <laughs> and I would play FNM on Fridays with uh, the army dudes. So it, it was it a lot. Was it a lot of downtime then? I mean, was uh, no, it a lot of downtime no. followed by lots of activity or was it, you no. know, was it constantly something kind of going on? There's always something going on. I worked when I was in Iraq, I worked six days a week, 12 hour shifts, mm -hmm. you know, so just you just made downtime when you could. And and really, the, the memories aren't going to be, at least for me, about, you know, the work. They're going to be more about me playing games because that's just you know, that was my happy place. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what 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 did you do in the forces yourself then? What was your um, role? What was your position? My job was uh, munitions, so bombs, but um, wow, it sounds cooler than it was. Really, I was kind of like a glorified mechanic. Um, I worked with bombs. We, you know, we, we assembled bombs and we disassembled bombs, mm -hmm. uh, you know, on racks and stuff like that, not like EOD, which is explosives ordnance disposal. Those are the guys that yeah, there yeah. was a, if there was ordnance that fell out of a plane and didn't go off and it needed to be cleaned up, that's EOD. Yeah, that's the exciting yeah. job that I wanted, but my recruiter lied to me. So I ended up in ammo, which is munitions. Had a blast. Really glad I did it. Um, yeah. But uh, and then when I went to Iraq, I actually had volunteered for what was called TCN. That's Third Country National. And um, yeah. so I worked with. Uh, I kept, you know, I just would escort the Iraqis around base who were working with us for either like filling sandbags or setting up walls or, you know, all kinds of other stuff. And also, I also worked with a lot of Turks while we were there. We actually had a, a huge community of Turkish people who lived on base. And it was, uh, it was actually Saddam's old base that I stayed at. He had his, wow. uh, his personal movie theater, um, which I saw, I remember seeing idiocracy <laughs> in that, in that <laughs> theater, which was really funny. And, uh, and his pool, I remember swimming in his pool there. Um, and we actually had a, a mortar strike when I was in the pool and I was in the water and what you're supposed to do when you hear the alarm for the mortar strike is to hit the ground. And I was like, what do I do in the pool? So I just went underwater. <laughs> I was like, I guess that's the only solution, even though it doesn't do anything. It just, it just started in the backstroke. 
you know, yeah. I'll practice my synchro- <laughs> I'll practice my synchronized uh, routine. Yeah, let's, let's get that. Try let's to see if I can the do water. the thing where I go upside down and my legs kind of poke out the top of the water. <laughs> let's kind of let's kind of kind of try that. That so um, you how long were you in the forces for then? Uh, did you well, eight years? What, what, when was, did you leave? I did. I did the munitions thing for four years as uh, active duty. Yeah. That's when I was, you know wearing the uniform every day, lived, you know, in military housing, all that stuff. Then I came back to mm. the States and um, I decided to join the Florida Air National Guard and I switched mm. jobs and I went into, we'll just say SATCOM. I did satellite communications, mostly just like cool networking. I was really excited to get into the tech side of things. And then uh, when I went to my training in Mississippi, I realized that we were learning on on hardware that was like 40 plus years old because that's how the military yeah. does things. Don't fix what ain't broke. Um, yeah. And uh, so but when I was in the guard, I I only was in uniform and doing that stuff one weekend every month. So I did that for four years. And then um, and then I separated from that and became a civilian in um, 2012. So when you leave, when you're leaving like the service, are you, are you kind of like left on your own? I mean, is there help for you to kind of get back into kind of civilian, yeah, yeah, civilian life and get yourself set up with jobs? Are you pretty much kind of left? Well, no, there, 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 there are services, they're called transition services, but yeah. they're not the greatest because they're still military program. They're still government programs, right? And the government's generally pretty slow to have things that are modernized. Yeah. So they do, you know, they, they try to help you in earnest, but it's really not, you know, like I did munitions. The, uh, there's only a few jobs that I could do in the civilian sector and I didn't want to do any of them. I didn't want to work for, uh, you know, an, an airplane manufacturing company or anything like that, which is what most of the guys did who left my field. Actually, I, I kind of skipped over one thing when I when I uh, when I left active duty, I actually did a DOD Department of Defense job out in Qatar. Yeah. And I, I lived in Qatar for nine months. Um, that was between active duty and guard. I actually did that, which was was great. But I came back, um, you know, for personal reasons. And uh, and that was fun. I didn't get too much gaming out there except World of Warcraft because, you know, it was accessible at the time. But yeah, as far as transition to civilian life, there like the things that I learned really didn't amount to a whole lot. So I was kind of on my own. But when I got back and I was in the guard, that's when I started going to college again for art. Yeah. So. Okay. So you kind of retrained. You started doing the art stuff, and then I take it that kind of led into the into the graphical stuff, the graphic design mm-hmm. kind of stuff at the same time. Worry. Were you dipping back into tabletop at that time? I mean, obviously, I, I'm guessing that you, the kind of the magic stuff never kind of goes away. That you're always kind of checking out the kind of the latest decks, even if it's at the corner of your eyes. Like I don't like this game anymore, but no, I really that, that, know this new that addiction will never go away. Like even now, I have magic cards <laughs> on my desk because I did yet another scrub of my collection to sell off. You know, this I just. Because like the last bastion of what I held on to were my uh, EDH, my commander decks. Yeah. Um, and so I took those out to finally scrub those and sell stuff off. And, and even now when I see like new magic sets come out, I'm like, oh man, oh, no, 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 don't do it. Don't do it. 
I really want to. Sometimes <laughs> what I'll do is instead of like, yeah. you know, because like certain things they tell you like psychologically, you should just give into it. And in some instances, that's very dangerous. But for magic, all I do is occasionally I'll buy one pack of one of the new sets. That's it. I'll see. It's kind of like a lottery ticket. Like, will I get one of the ultra cool rares that I'll see and maybe I can flip it? If not, eh, whatever. I just mm. throw the pack of cards away. I see some of the new cards and then it passes and I don't have to, you know, I don't feel like buying anything for another six plus months. Do you think um, magic's become this place where... They seem to keep kind of changing it and ramping it up kind of quicker than it allows the actual, the next version to breathe. Because it seems to be kind of doing something every six months now. Yeah. Where beforehand it used to be kind of like once a year. And I'm wondering if it allows the pure metagame to kind of really, to really kind of, kind of, kind of come out in that time. Yeah. I mean, I, I wish I could speak properly on the state of magic but i've been out of it for so very long that i really you know whatever opinion i have is totally tertiary um when i when i last got out of it cycles would last you know maybe i think a year and a half um but i didn't actually play a lot of constructed my primary focus in my later magic years was drafting i really like drafting a lot um, which is probably the reason why I love deck building so much because it's yeah. the tabletop version of drafting and it costs way, way less. <laughs> so that, that yeah, do you think became... I just kind of wonder if Magic's at the point where if you've got players in Magic that have been playing it for the last kind of like five years, ten years, they've probably got their decks kind of sorted out. And so there's decks that they'll play with, so they're less likely to maybe they'll get the new stuff because they'll get the new stuff, but they'll maybe not invest as in heavily into the newer stuff because they've got their decks already. So I'm wondering if their magic thing at the moment is to kind of encourage new players because if you get for every new player that you get that hasn't played, there's a huge back catalogue of cards that they can then go and kind of buy. But I guess it's about encouraging kind of new blood while keeping the kind of the the kind of the older people happy, who are yeah. in the hobby kind well, of happy, I guess. But Magic has always been very smart about attracting new players. You know, let's go all the way back to when Magic had that that two deck box that came with the dark mm -hmm. blue and light blue tokens in it. That long box, like that was their that was a really smart move because it was a two player set in one small box to get you into the game, right? And a lot of people like that was just and and now they support so many different formats to make sure that at least in my external opinion, they're attempting to try to keep everyone happy all at the same time. So they want to attract new players so that they can have people who yeah. are going to be playing F and M because F and M is what Friday night magic is what keeps the, 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 the physical stores busy and keeps business in those stores. Um, yeah. And then for older magic players who might not, want to be in that you know um setting they can play modern they can play commander you know th there's you know there's magic online there's so many different formats uh that you can play magic in now and there's board game versions of it there's you know uh i guess some new planeswalker thing i don't know i haven't i'm trying to stay away from anything magic themed <laughs> as much as possible i feel like i'm kind of like i'm kind of kind of slowly tempting you 
to kind of take a look. No, the only the, 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 the kind of the reason I'm asking about. I'm just asking about it because my uh, our kind of our head writer of the site, uh, Steve, he's recently got back into. No, he's not recently got back into. It. He's actually getting into magic for the first time. Oh wow! Yeah. So he wrote a piece about getting into magic and how he's you know how he's kind of found it. So I was just interested to get it from. You know, when you said you were playing kind of magic many years ago, it was kind of interesting to kind of get your, to kind of get your kind of take. Um, in terms of right now, then, is there anything that's turning your, you know, turning your your head, in terms of what the, what's happening in the kind of the tabletop scene? I mean, did you look at kind of like are you are you primarily still are you still a card kind of a card, a card carrying, yeah. kind of kind of chap yeah you know, I, focus, you, I, I focus a lot um so when i was young and i first got into board games i loved like really heavy strategy access and allies you know things that took a long time friends would set it up at their house and we would play for a weekend kind of games but now that i have yeah. now that i have kids and and even prior to the kids with the pubs you know all that like it just i've slowly transitioned transitioned more and more to shorter games occasionally, you know, my wife and I could maybe get scythe to the table or something like that, which we absolutely love, but the time and space commitment also set up, if I had a robot that could set up games for me, I would play a whole lot more games. Um, but as it stands, I, I focus a lot on shorter games and primarily games that play best with two players because it's my wife and I. Um, so I don't, I don't play too many big heavy games unless sometimes, you know, friends visit and, um, you know, that's when we'll play wingspan or, uh, I'm drawing a blank for another classic game. Oh, castles of Burgundy. They finally, I finally got taught that game. That game was really cool. Um, you know, yeah. I, I love Lords of Waterdeep. That's one of my favorites, but I'll end up playing that on mobile before I'll play it at the table because my wife and I have it on our phones and we can skip all the setup. And, you know, we could be laying next to each other in bed playing the game if we want to. So that, that level of convenience sometimes definitely takes over, uh, you know, wanting to set up a game. Yeah, and it's kind of like, it's remembering the rules if you haven't played something for a while. Oh, and, yeah. And there's not, I don't think there's anything more frustrating than um, having to sit there and having to refer back to the rule book just because you're kind of a little bit unsure. You know you enjoy the game. You know you're going to have fun with the game. But if you've not played it for a while, there's that little bit of kind of, oh, do we just check this? And that's yeah. why um, sometimes a little digital game will kind of keep you right. It'll maybe stop you from, you know, kind of making, having mistakes because you've got the contextual help and you've got everything, mm -hmm. you kind of got everything kind of like that. Um, with regards to kind of then you kind of working in the industry itself, Mm -hmm. Have you have you noticed a not a kind of a change, and have you had to adapt how you kind of approach marketing with regards to kind of games? You know yourself. I mean, have you seen a change in how marketing is done in general in tabletop? Yeah, uh, when I first got into, because I came from a more traditional marketing world before I got into like, uh, you know, dealing with Kickstarters. And prior to mm -hmm. Kickstarter, I had never dealt with um, any form of online promotion of a game. I had only ever dealt with like promoting a game in person at a convention. You know, I've worked a lot of booths. Mm -hmm. 
So I know that side of it, um, but I'd never really dealt with the online space. And I had been, I had been working with, uh, you know, a, a, you know, big, big operation that, you know, at our high point, our, our Facebook ad budget was $700,000 a month. So, you know, I worked in a very different arena than what, you know, board games work in because the margins are a lot smaller on board games and, and board games. That's actually one of the things I like the most is it's, it's a lot more mom and pop for lack of a, you know, better buzzword, but no, no. Yeah. 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 But it's uh, you know, the feel is very different and the way you market has to be, in my opinion, like 90% organic and 10% paid. You can get away with paying a ton of money and having a big budget, but you're going to either have to have a really stellar marketing team slash agency behind it that already has the framework in place to market like that. Or you're going to have to have a big name in place that people already know very well, which, you know, a lot of that name building usually comes from organic buildup, people playing your game, people talking about your game, you being at conventions, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, the, uh, but when I first came from the larger world of marketing into the board game space, um, it was a culture shock for sure. And I remember one of the earlier campaigns I was working with and I was handling their Twitter and, you know, I was used to, for my old day job, posting to the the guy who ran the business his name was like you know the company basically so i would be running facebook posts to his facebook account every every hour seven days a week so i had to schedule out all those posts every single week okay so i came from a very heavy-handed marketing world so then I took over this uh, Kickstarter campaign or, you know, I was doing marketing. I didn't take over it on this one. I was just doing um, marketing, like uh, augmenting their marketing. And I was, I think I was tweeting like three times a day and people were like literally complaining and getting really upset about it and sending in messages like, yeah. Hey, you guys are advertising too much. And to me, I'm just like, what are you guys talking about? Like, this is nothing, you know, this, you know, I can set up these tweets in a matter of minutes, whereas, you know, the other work would take forever. Um, and then I, I found out that it just, it, it wasn't even about the opinion of if it's the right amount of marketing, it was just very clear that it was extremely ineffective. So I had to totally stop operating in that space. And now it's been, I don't know, I think I've, I've been doing Kickstarter marketing for, I think three, three plus years now. I'm not, I'm not even sure. Yeah. And, uh, let's see. The first one I worked on was this wasn't the one, or maybe this was the one with the Twitter, but, um, vengeance, you know, that one from mighty boards. Yeah. It, ring, it rings a bell. Yeah, yeah. This one was, let's see. We launched this one back in, this was in 2017. Okay. Yeah. So I've been doing Kickstarters, uh, since then, and I've done, uh, nine board game Kickstarters that I've dealt with either social media or marketing or, you know, some combination thereof, or, you know, graphic design on the, on the page. And then I've also worked on, I think five now. Yeah. Five graphic, purely just graphic design layouts for, uh, Kickstarters. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Um, I mean, I think the thing with Twitter and the thing that I see again and again and again on Twitter accounts for people that are running Kickstarters is 
it's not a, they haven't embraced Twitter. I don't. I very rarely see, unless it's an established business, somebody that's got a couple of hundred followers on Twitter, mm-hmm. which means I guess, and a lot of those are community based. So a lot of them will be people that are other other are necessarily probably other members of the tabletop community. Mm-hmm. So I guess I can see the thing if you're like tweeting, come and look at my game. It's like, yeah, I know we've been yeah, looking at it. It was game. really bad. I, <laughs> I, I, I did it all wrong. Like what I was doing was not at all what needs to be done. Uh, so that's what I'm saying. It was a huge culture shock and I learned about it. But again, to that, uh, to that note, Twitter is still my least preferred social media platform. I just, I, I've tried to use it for years and I just, it's not my space. Um, I prefer Instagram personally. Um, but have you recently seen the Dispel Dice campaign? I haven't, no. I'll be honest, I'm not going to say yes for the sake of it, no. <laughs> okay, so uh, Dispel Dice is like taking the taking the Kickstarter board game world by storm right now. It uh, It's currently at 1.9 million. Uh, their goal was 20,000, and it's just for dice. It's for sets of dice. Now I say just I'm, for I'm dice, looking at just this. for I'm shock gonna, value. I'm going to go live, live high. Oh, I've seen this. Yeah, they're handmade. They're really beautiful. Um, and the girl that makes them, Karen. Let me pull up her name. Uh, Karen Wang. I, you know, it's a first time, a first created uh, campaign. They've only backed one campaign, so you know she's going against the rules with that whole deal. But from doing research. <laughs> She uh, she has been very active in the Facebook and Twitter dice communities for role players, and everyone was already like super in love with her product, which is what you're supposed to do, right? Like this is what you try to tell everyone to do is put in the work ahead of time. You know, Jamie Stegmeyer talks about this a lot in his book and on his blog. You do the work ahead of time so that your campaign isn't when you start to do the work. The campaign is when you start to reap the rewards of all the work you did leading up to it. Too many people think you, the work starts when your campaign launches, and that's just, you know, that's a death sentence. But um, but this campaign is crazy. And I, I even emailed Karen. She's very nice. And um, it'll be interesting to see where this campaign goes because she makes her dice by hand. She pours the, the resin, um, all those colors in by hand, so they're all truly unique. However... She has 16,000 backers currently, so it's going to be curious to see, even with her hand training people at these facilities on how to replicate what she does, I'm curious to see how this plays out in the long run, how they end up being, you know, produced at that level of scale. Um, And uh, the the dice look crazy, and I understand the obsession with, like, keeping and collecting dice, because I have dice sets, you know, like, I have in a specific chain mail bag that somebody handmade for me, my dice sets that I bought when I was playing that Dragonlance campaign in Iraq. And that's extremely special to me. You know, nobody ever gets to use those dice, but me, I have bulk junk dice that other people can use, but like this set here, these dice are just, they're magnificent, magnificent. So these are the kinds of things that you would buy as a collector. And, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing to see because there's also another dice campaign that's running simultaneously that um, is not is is doing extremely well they're over two hundred thousand dollars and they have dice uh, that the in the core of the 
the D20, they're only D20. The core of them are uh, liquid. So when you roll them, the material inside uh, continually twirls around. They look great. You know, obviously they're not going to be balanced and all these other things, but um, they're yeah. really, really, they're really, really pretty, and they have a lot of appeal. But they're it's not at all marketed in the way that the dispel dice are. This one's called uh, goat dice. You know, like uh, greatest of all time. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm pulling it up now. Uh, yeah, it's called goat dice. Changing the way we roll, and uh, and they're at two hundred and twenty nine thousand with fifty two hours left. Um, but that being said, between these two campaigns, there's over $2.1 million in people backing campaigns just for dice. I'm quite, I must admit, I've kind of, I, I kind of, I'm shocked by that. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of shocked by that. It's kind of one of these things that's like, wonder about, um, this is, I don't know, this is another example to me of the tabletop side of, th the, the, the tabletop RPG side of things reaching mainstream far, far beyond and more earlier than the actual main board game tabletop scene, if you know what I mean. Well, because sure. I mean, if you look at the kind of the Amazon has just recently kind of, they've commissioned kind of critical role, you know, this new, the, the animated series is going to go to Amazon Prime. I mean, that's, you know, I can't imagine, I can't imagine at the moment, um, with the best will of the world, I can't imagine Amazon or Hulu or HBO or anyone like that knocking on kind of like the Dice Tower's door or, right? yeah. you know, or BGG's door and saying, hey, we want to do kind of like a weekly kind of show. I think the closest he got to it was kind of Will Wheaton doing mm. kind of tabletop. Yeah, but even and, that and was it just still seems... only just for a, a very niche community. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm just wondering. I mean, that's amazing. I have seen the kind of the Dice up and around, but I must admit, I never looked at it kind of totally, but quite simply because it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily kind of my bag. Yeah, to be perfectly good. honest, that's but, a good pun, though. But well, you know, I, I kind of slipped that in. It wasn't meant to be something that was highlighted. It was me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a lover but, of puns, and, and then on the other side of it. Well, you know, I'm a dad as well, so we can, you know, we can, we can do dad, we could do dad jokes all day. It's, it's going to be, right. it's all going to be fine. Um, but then that's a big, that's again a big, huge thing difference between kind of what I'm seeing, kind of like in the tabletop scene with regards to marketing. Do you think, um, has anyone cracked it yet? I mean, is it, is it still possible? I mean, we've shown it, you know, you obviously just shown it with dispel dice, but. Do you think it's very, very possible for a new star to come in and just have a huge hit on Kickstarter? Do you think there's a successful kind of recipe for well, somebody it, to come in and say, "Right, it really, it really I'm depends." I'm marketing money. Did you see the um, the newest game that Richard Garfield did on Kickstarter? Yes, I think so. Yeah, yeah, H yeah. Half Truth, that one. <coughs> yeah, yeah. And that's the one he did with Ken Jennings, the guy who's, you know, made the most money off of Jeopardy ever, which is just mind-bogglingly cool. And they've actually been working on this game for years, right? And they came to Kickstarter and they only made $327,000. So, you like it's the, the Kickstarter community is a really curious thing. You got to play the game right to really to really harness it. 
and and dispel dice you know karen with dispel dice she she built everything through organic marketing to my knowledge i don't know if she spent any money on any form of marketing but uh you know as as far as her kickstarter account is concerned she doesn't have any kind of ad agencies that have access to it you know so she's not there's none of that's there which is crazy cool to see that somebody like that they can actually still live that Kickstarter dream. They had an idea, they worked really hard for it. They put their, they put passion and their whole heart into what they were doing. They shared it with the community. The community loved it. She brought it to Kickstarter and now it's just like this crazy success. Um, so, you know, we'll see where it goes. As far as um, role-playing games and all that is concerned, right? Right now we have a lot of people, um, a lot of celebrities who are stepping into the limelight to talk about the fact that they do or they play, you know, role playing games. Um, sometimes people will poke up and say they play board games, but I think because board games have always been equated as pretty normal, like as far as Monopoly and games like that are concerned, it's it's a fairly like familial thing. People are like, oh yeah, board games, you know, whatever. They don't realize when they say board game, they're talking about games that can take four to six hours and are extremely intense or yeah, super simple. And that's, sorry, that's a really interesting point, but you, you said yourself, you said, you know, you mentioned the baseline for a role-playing game is D&D. Mm -hmm. It's Dungeons and Dragons. So if you say, oh, I played role-playing game, what, like Dungeons and Dragons? And folk are thinking, Dungeons and Dragons and dragons and zombies and being whoever you want to be and fighting lots of people and going and getting the gold and you're already building excitement. We're on the, in the same sentence you said, or you're talking tabletop, which you're talking board games, which you're talking Monopoly. Yeah, yeah, the, it's, the association's not the same. Also, but it's, like... yeah. There's yeah. that whole D&D scare that happened, you know, back in the 80s, right, where, you know, you're a Satan <laughs> worshiper and all that other stuff. So Dungeons and Dragons kind of has this air of being taboo, mm. um, which might even help it. But, like, do you know um, Death Saves from uh, Joe Manjin? What is it? Manjin Yellow? Manjin Yellow? I don't know how to pronounce his last name. But he was in True Blood. Um, mm -hmm. and uh, And this dude's... Like he's living the dream, man. He he posted on Instagram the other day in a D and D session, and sitting at his table, he had like Vince Vaughn and uh, the the writers from Game of Thrones playing in his D and D game. It's like what? <laughs> like how can I sit at that table? But these people who are very very much in the limelight, talking about Dungeons and Dragons, you know, it's just there's no there's no comparison none of these people are stepping out and talking about one board game above all other board games that they play right but they will talk about dungeons and dragons over all the other role-playing games that they play because it's just such a big thing as opposed to board games which are just it's a category yeah but on the other side of it you don't get like you don't go to essen and see a thousand new role-playing games being oh, no. kind of launched simultaneously. And I think, you know, what we've got is... Um, and I guess on the other side of it, because board games are so diverse, if I say, right, I've got a role-playing game, people who are into role-playing games, you know, they'll have stuff that, oh, I'm not sure about that, I'll not play it. Or, you know, they'll, 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 they'll know it's a role-playing game and it depends on how easy is the system to use and if it's a relatively straightforward system or something that we're used to, they're more likely to try it. 
you know, but it's the difference between if I said to you, okay, well, I've got, you know, I've got a pile of games in front of me, okay, I've got, I've actually, I've got, um, I've got a game, I've got King Domino Duel, <laughs> okay, and you're like, all right, okay, well, what's that? You roll dice, and it's like based around King Domino, and you try and kind of get as much land and therefore get as many points as possible. Oh, well, that sounds good. Well, that's brilliant, because if you like playing King Domino Duel, you're definitely going to like playing Through the Ages by Vlada Shavato mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of thing. Whereas, like, it's it's like it's still so, like, so kind of very, very diverse to me that, you know, whereas in role-playing, there's probably going to be so, what are you talking about? You know nothing, Richard. You're talking absolute rubbish. But to me, I think a group of role-playing guys, unless they were totally against the subject matter, I think you'd be able to get them to sit down and play it. I think if people were used to playing kind of like King Domino or Little Town or Tiny Town or whatever, it'd be very, very difficult to get them to go and say, let's play Twilight Imperium for the next yeah. 11 and a half hours kind of thing. <laughs> I don't think the two things kind of, kind of contest. So is that why in terms of your own efforts to bring something to the table... Um, which you're kind of looks sounds to me like you're kind of going into ish the kind of the role playing kind of sphere kind of thing, but you're keeping it simple in a nice little cheeky, a little nice little cheeky card game. Mm-hmm. So you want to yeah. tell us a little bit about your own little invention? Yeah, I uh, I'm actually working on um, a couple simultaneously. Uh, one of them, the one that I, I just actually released my first print and play to uh, the wild, which is pretty fun. Um, it's, it's exciting and scary at the same time because being judged is never fun, but everyone's been pretty cool so far about this one. It's called Meet at the Inn, which uh, actually is uh, an invention from a childhood friend of mine. He brought this game to me. It's just, it's 30 cards. It's a very simple uh, component wise game, but it has a lot of strategy involved. Um, and we, we did a little, I hosted a little unpub down in South Florida back in 2015 when he first brought it to me and, uh, we liked it and, and everyone was really excited who played it. Some people were like, Hey man, if you're going to, if you're going to like put money behind this, I'm willing to actually put my money behind this. And this is, again, this is before I really got into Kickstarter or anything like that. So I was like, Oh man, that's really cool. And then just, you know, life got in the way and I stopped paying attention to it. Um, and then, uh, and then a, maybe a few years after that, a year or two after that, possibly, I thought I might try my hand at, you know, maybe licensing an IP and building off of that because, uh, yeah. you know, because I played a lot of Cryptozoic games at the time, like DC Deck Builder and the Naruto Deck Builder and the Street Fighter Deck Builder and the Lord of the Rings Deck Builder. And, you know, so I was like, wow, you can you can kind of just get a cool system. Their engine is called the Cerberus engine. You get a cool uh, you know, Cerberus engine system, something like that. And you, and you can skin it and modify it to the different themes. Okay. So my first attempt at licensing an IP was, uh, laser unicorns. Do you know who they are? Yes. Yes. So Kung Fury. Um, so I, I just, I (laughs) went, I went out on a lark and I, I messaged them and he actually responded back to me. Um, and he thought the idea was super cool. I said, I want to do a deck builder for Kung Fury. Um, but then he said that, you know, those fateful words, he said, oh, I have a personal friend who's in the board games and he wants to try to make a game. And I was like, okay, oh. you know, like I can't argue with that. And, uh, you know, that's, well, did you not see you'd fight him? 
Yeah. Yeah, I, I should have, <laughs> right? That would have been very thematic. But it's been over two years since that original proposal. And he has, you know, he, he just, uh, he's working on the, the full feature film. So I know he's not putting any attention on the, on the board game. But yeah, so nonetheless, no board game for them has come out yet. Um, and I'll keep chipping away at that. But my second attempt at an IP, um, I don't know if you, did you ever play the old 90s card game Guardians? No, I didn't. But I mean, as with all these things, people talk about them when they're talking about their past. So yeah. 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 It's Back in my day. A, a couple of times. Yeah. Well, Guardians. <laughs> well, no, because people I don't speak to use a Southern accent. <laughs> That's what they did to do. That's what you should have done at the beginning. You should say, well, you know, I started off um Back in the day when I was, you know, in Florida, which was kind of nice, and then I went and joined the <laughs> army, and then I got this accent beaten out of me, yeah. and then I went and played some board games, and I love myself some magic, yeah. and now I'm doing marketing. You know, that's that could have been that could have been the approach. I'll have to I'll have to remember that for for next time. But um, <laughs> for, for next so time Guardians was a absolutely beautiful game that was designed by yeah. um uh. Luke Peter Schmidt and Keith Parkinson and Keith Parkinson was a really, really well-respected illustrator. I mean, he'd still be a really well-respected illustrator, except he unfortunately passed away a few years ago. His art is phenomenal, like just phenomenal. And the, the time frame that guardians came out at in the early nineties, this particular group of artists, um, Brahm and these other fantasy illustrators, they're just like, to me, nothing compares to it. But anyway, so they made this card game and it was so hard to play. The game was beautiful. The concept and the theme, very tongue in cheek. So it was funny. It had humor. You could bribe monsters with like beer and babes and money and all these silly things. I'm actually removing those from the version I'm working on, um, you know, so it fits our climate a little bit better. And it's not so misogynistic in design, but the the game was so hard to play. It was nearly impossible to play because it was just so utterly complicated. Um, to give you an example, a normal card, like say you're playing a deck builder or something and you have a variable player power and you have a card that gives you some kind of information, you might have, you know, yeah. maybe seven pieces of information. You have the card's name, you have the card's art, you have the card's type, you have the card's play text, uh, you might have a couple traits, uh, you know, you'll have a set identifier and the name of the artist, right? That's seven pretty basic traits, right? Well, yeah, yeah. The the character cards in um in uh, Guardians had like thirteen plus pieces of information, and some of them were relative, so you didn't know what it did until you got into the game and had the game set up, and then you would know how it affected your game. So it was just like it was. It was, you'd had to be really smart or have a lot of time on your hands to play that game. Anyway, so that game, you know, they released a couple of sets, a beautiful art across all the sets, and then it just kind of died off, you know, and, and that happens with games. Well, uh, I reached out to, because Keith had passed on, I reached out to his wife and she passed me on to her son, you know, Keith's son. And he actually works in the video game space. And so he thought the idea of making Guardians into a modern deck builder was super cool. So he was very enthusiastic about it, even though he actually hadn't heard about deck builders, like what, what they really were. But I explained it to him. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I made yeah. a blog. I actually made a blog post on I'm a Social Gamer that 
explains what deck builders are just so that I could send it to him <laughs> to show him what deck builders were. <laughs> um, and, uh, and he loved it. He went out and he bought a bunch of deck builders. He loves Dominion and he's played all these different games. And, um, I actually pitched this game to a, uh, a, a, a good sized publisher who I very much respect. And he actually played Guardians back in the day too. And that's how my pitch started out. I was like, Hey, did you ever play Guardians back in the nineties? He's like, man, that game had beautiful art, but it was really hard to play. And I was like, exactly. <laughs> so, so he actually asked for a pro a playable prototype of the game, um, from me at origins 2018, but I haven't quite ironed out the mini gameplay. Uh, in the, there's, so there's like a little combat system in the game and that's what made the original so complicated. I want to stay true to the original game, but get rid of the complexity. And I'm having a little bit of a hard time with that. So anyway, so I'm working on that. Let's go back to the 2015 friends design that I worked on. So it's a co-design meet at the ends, only 30 cards. I was like, okay, this, I can actually, you know, take a bite of this sandwich and make a print and play and release it. Um, yeah. But, uh, I didn't just dust it off for no reason. I actually saw a post from Derek over at Board Game Spotlight that ANSI Labs was looking for board games. So I emailed them and I emailed them a couple of projects that I was working on and they actually were like, hey, you should send us meet at the end. We thought that looked pretty cool. And I was like, oh shit, <laughs> I got to make this work. <laughs> so so then I, I put together a print and play file so that I could send it to them. And then I thought, well, why don't I, you know, put it out to the public, see what people think, you know, start, start, you know, getting the name out there. So that's, that's why Meet at the Inn actually came out uh, to the public because ANSI Labs was interested in it. I don't know if they've had a chance to play it or if they'll ever, you know, pick it up, but just the fact that they said, Hey, send that over to us is really cool. You know, it's really, it's really gratifying. And it's fun working on this game too, because, um, you know, that friend who actually designed the game, he's pretty, he's actually been pretty down and out. Um, he got in a really gnarly car accident earlier this year and he's been, uh, right, okay. yeah, he's been bedridden, um, since then. And he's had all kinds of crazy stuff happen to him. So, uh, whenever I give him updates on all the cool stuff that's happening with the game, he's really excited and, you know, he wants to use it to kind of seed other designs that he's working on. And he's working on like a, um, like a, I think it's like a death metal deck builder, uh, where you build up, um, you're a rock god and you're building up um, fan points to become a more powerful rock god. And I don't know, it seems it seems pretty cool. I don't know how the game plays at all, but I like the premise a lot. And um, and then I also I don't know if you heard about the uh, the raid on Area 51, which thankfully didn't actually. Oh happen. my goodness! Yeah, that didn't actually happen. I yeah, we kind of hoped it would happen, but then it turned into <laughs> like a, it seemed to be like a third rate. Yeah, kind of festival type of thing. Everybody's like, "Yeah, let's storm it! Let's storm it!" Yeah, or we could have a concert. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, oh, let's, come on, let's storm it. They have guns because <laughs> um, <laughs> that's actually an air force base. So I was really hoping that it didn't follow through. Um, but uh, I had a little idea to make a fifty-two card game based on the theme of Area Fifty-One, and the premise of yeah. it is that Area Fifty, the storming of Area Fifty-One actually happened. And you're one of the two people who uh, got inside the facility. And so, or one of the few people, we'll just say one of the few people, because the game is technically uh, two players right now, but potentially might be expandable with more decks. So you're one of the few people who made it inside of Area 51. And now you realize that some of the other people with you are actually like 
alien sleeper agents and you're trying to escape area 51 even though you just got into it um so it's a it's a pretty fun little game i gotta i gotta work on it a bit more but i like how it plays and i've played it with my wife and i it's only 52 cards and a couple small dice so if you know again it would it's very small but like you said it's uh kind of like a dungeon crawl it's still role-playing-esque meet at the end is based on the whole trope of when you start a role-playing game, you generally yeah, meet yeah. it in with the whole team because you're just a bunch of random people. And there's a poster up that says, you know, clean out the goblins in the local sewers. Um, and uh, and Guardians is very much uh, heavy in that fantasy, high fantasy role-playing setting as well. So yeah, uh, I've definitely, unintentionally, I didn't even think about it until you asked, uh, taken kind of like that, that role-playing world and distilled it down to simple card games that uh, that are easier and more accessible for, you know, people like me or people people with less uh, lower player counts or with less time to commit to set up and tear down and and all that other stuff. So what's I mean, what's the next stage then? Are you going to continue to work on these? Are you going to look at Are you looking at taking them to Kickstarter or are you, you know, you you mentioned obviously Ansi. Um, is it a case of seeing who else you can kind of pitch to or? I mean, with you being, I guess the question I'm asking eventually is that with you being confident in the marketing side of things, are you confident you could take something to Kickstarter and get it funded? Or are you kind of like, well, I'd rather maybe go to like, say, Pandasaurus and then then let them kind of take it to Kickstarter? Well, you know, like Daniel yeah. Newman did with Dead Man's Cabal, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. The, with Guardians, um, I actually originally wanted to pitch it to Restoration Games because, you know, they're all about bringing back old games and making them new. Um, but I had already pitched it to, to uh, you know, another publisher who had showed interest in it. And so I didn't really shop that around much. With Guardians, I would prefer somebody who has legal experience with licensing and um, uh, actual like distribution and production, I would much prefer that that game be handled by somebody who has experience with it um, because I've seen games go to Kickstarter where they get too big for their own good or they fund and then it just all falls apart after the campaign. Um, so with that particular game being a little bit bigger, that one I don't want to do on Kickstarter myself. With Meet at the Inn, if uh, I, I've actually not admitted this in public to anybody, I've only ever talked to my wife about this, but with Meet at the Inn, if Ansi Labs isn't interested, I think I'd be comfortable bringing it to Kickstarter um, because one, I already have an artist in mind for the game. He's actually the person who designed the uh, logo, the door knocker logo for me years ago. Like he even forgot that he had made that for me. I had commissioned him to do that art. And then, you know, we, again, we just all forgot about it. Um, But I would love to have him do the art for this game because I think it would work really, really well. And, um, and with it only being 30 cards and nothing more, you know, there's no dice, there's no nothing. It's just a, a little box with 30 cards. So, you know, and a rule book, obviously. So pretty simple in that regard. I feel like that yeah. that would be a good way for me to get my feet wet because I have no knowledge, nor do I ever claim to have any knowledge on uh, handling the, the campaign once the Kickstarter ends outside of 
the the late pledge manager. I know plenty about that, but I'm talking about yeah. um, production and I'm talking about um, distribution and fulfillment. Those things I have, like I know a couple people at different points in that timeline, but I don't know the whole thing like at all. And uh, so it's it's super intimidating to think about jumping into something like that. And, uh, you know, and dealing with all that, that back end part of it. Um, but you never know. And even with Area 51, that might be something I would do as well, because actually, uh, with Area 51, uh, I've kind of already dreamed up a, a product line, so to speak, called um, Decks of Adventure. And, uh, or, De- right. or, or Deck of Adventure, because I think decksofadventure.com was taken. So I did Deck of Adventure. And, uh, and I have a few, um, I have a few other themes in that same space where basically all the games are going to be using, uh, two normal size D6. I forgot the millimeters, but, you know, average size D6 a number of smaller D6 and then 52 cards and that's it. And that would be how the whole series of deck of adventure would be. And so I have escape from area 51 or escape area 51 being the first one. And then the other two that I'm thinking about is a a dinosaur safari and something Western themed, but the Western one is just really just uh, an idea right now. And then I think I have another idea for a cat one, but, uh, but I can't remember the name of it right now. Um, and those I think I could bring to Kickstarter because knowing how to market a Kickstarter and knowing how to put together all the graphics and make all of it pretty and get funding is one thing. But the fulfillment side, in my opinion, is like so much more important because you could fund and you could way over fund and then you could just bomb after the Kickstarter. And then you lost all the potential for your game to really go anywhere after I've that. I've seen that. I've yeah. seen that. I've seen it with um, Dark Souls. Mm-hmm. The Dark Souls fr- franchise and people are getting wave free just now. They're getting it delivered. Wow! And I've I don't think <laughs> I'm not. I feel terrible because I've had kind of. I've never seen so many copies of Dark the Dark Souls hit kind of trading pages on Facebook Mm. to the point where it was a case of, you know, you can press a button to see what's a a kind of a summary of what's happening on the marketplaces. And I swear out of the nine pictures that Facebook was showing me, about six of them was people who had just opened up their Dark Souls Wave 3 box and taken a photograph of everything (laughs) sealed and just said, look, 80 quid. Yeah, and it's yours. Jeez, yeah, kind of just thing. Over which to it. me, which was terrible, which was terrible, which was, you know, because people were, I would have kept, you know, I would have kept it for the minis, you know, just for the, <laughs> yeah. you know, to be part of the game. But people are obviously so fed up of waiting that long mm-hmm. um, that they've decided. Well, they've moved on from the game because, as you know, people's kind of games, game kind of taste kind of change. And let's face it, things are changing on a continual kind of political basis and. There's tax and things like that mm, to mm-hmm. um, to take into consideration. I know that um, I have clients that I work with who I know a lot of clients who manufacture directly out of China, and um, <clears throat> they had planned this kind of eight months ago to manufacture out of China and then stick it straight into a fulfillment center in Amazon. And there's so many of them are getting held up at port because it's coming from China going into the States and they're getting hit. They've hit for taxes. And, uh, you know, some people are actually having their profit wiped out before they've even managed to sell a 
to yeah. sell a product. So it's a it's a kind of a changing a changing time. It does sound like you are you're like you're almost not like a Vaughn of ideas. You're just like a huge van of ideas <laughs> almost. Uh, that's, um, funny. that's a first. But, I'll say that's definitely a first. There you go. There you go. They had to get it in eventually. Um but if people, you know, have listened along tonight and they want to kind of keep an eye on you and you know, where where do we find you on the internet webs, Mr. Uh, well, I guess the best the best place to go would be my blog, which is I'm a social gamer dot com. Mm-hmm. Um I post to it, you know, as frequently as I can. I'm pretty busy, but you know, I, I do post to it when I can. I have a Facebook group for I'm a social gamer as well. Um, again, it's pretty small cause I don't put a ton of attention, but those are, those are probably the best ways to keep up with me publicly or, or Instagram, mm. Instagram.com slash Vaughn Reynolds. That's V A U G H N R E Y N O L D S. Um, you can thank my parents for all those letters. Um, <laughs> but, uh, if you want to email me directly or reach out to me directly, it's just Vaughn at Vaughn And I, I won't you know, put you through the spelling of that again. Uh, what I'll do is I'll make sure that all those links go in the show notes that we have got notes to show. Um, if you want to keep an eye on what we're up to, go to the internet webs and search for We're Not Wizards and you'll find us in all the various different worn-out places and worn-out faces <laughs> in bright and early for the daily races. Um, and you'll find us on our website, which is we'renotwizards.com, and our blog, which is we'renotwizards.blogspot.com, where, as I mentioned, Steve has done a little article about falling in love with magic, which we're having words about, because, you know, you can't talk about liking magic if you're not meant to be a wizard. Mm-hmm. There's going to be potentially a disciplinary. I don't know yet. I'm going to have to decide that. However, we are writing more and more kind of thought pieces and previews and reviews and all that different types of things if you want to look at our photographs we're on instagram as well at we are not wizards and everywhere else um if you like what you've listened to tonight go outside and tell somebody random it's a conversation starter have you ever heard of the we're not wizards podcast and they go no then you can tell them about it and tell them to listen because that's how we spread kind of like a virus or something (laughs) yeah like a pandemic um well, something like that, except, you know, we're not little cubes. Um, <laughs> if you like us even more, go to Apple Podcasts and give us a rating or review. As we say, always don't, you know, don't give us 10 stars because it makes us big-headed. It, it's also suspicious, but, right? It is, but don't give us one star because it makes us cry. Give us something in the middle, like a five, because <laughs> it's average. Yeah. And we are just a little bit average. But the person who's not been average today... It's rather wonderful, rather fantastic, Mr. Vaughn Reynolds. Um, thank you very, very much for coming on. I appreciate it very much. I'm, I'm honored to be here, and it was very fun chatting and, you know, talking about myself for an hour. <laughs> it's, it's been nice. You know, there's nothing nicer, nothing nicer than an ego. Yeah. And, you know, the, the best, and let's face it, the best, the best subject for any conversation is always me. Yeah. And that's the way, I, that is the way I live my life. Yeah. Um. There's there's only two more things to do. The first thing is to remember that we're many things, but we're not wizards. No, I'm are a we wizards, Vaughn? There you go, fantastic. And the second thing is to say goodbye. So it's a goodbye from Vaughn. Say goodbye, Vaughn. Bye bye. 
and it's a goodbye from me. Remember, stay safe, roll sixes, and um, you don't have to be a social gamer because there's obviously a social gamer out there and he's there, but um, check out various different things that Vaughn is going to be producing because it sounds like he's, he's up to his eyes in it, up to his eyes in it, you know. Um, but until the next time, y'all come back now, you hear? <laughs> Bye. A wizard is never late. Is he early? He arrives precisely when he means to.